The Press Box is here to catch you up on the latest media stories. Hosted by Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker, these guys have the insight on the biggest stories you care about. Check out The Press Box on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up on today's podcast, the state of the association, life advice, and Bruce Feldman. What's going on with Coach O? The next step for LSU, we run around the five major conferences. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon. The perfect pants do exist, and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable, and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics, all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands, or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cashback on every purchase every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, subject to credit approval, savings available to Apple Card owners, subject to eligibility, savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC, terms apply. It's now time for my annual State of the Association. And I want to start by addressing the coastal elites. Los Angeles, Brooklyn, Phoenix, and Milwaukee. I've heard a lot of old jokes about the Lakers, but I love old people. Ask them about fruit or what transportation used to be like. Here's an exercise. If you're driving around with an old person, you go past a hill, you could say, hey, Gramps, you think that hills change shapes? Content for days. But you have to respect the Lakers for both their domestic contributions like Russell Westbrook and LeBron James and the foreign affairs of Carmelo Anthony. Milwaukee has invested in defense. They were the 11th best offense out of 16 teams in the playoffs, but clearly the best defense. And it's the only weapon we've ever imported from Greece. Phoenix. You know I love Phoenix, but we have a saying in real estate. If you can't afford the HOA, don't buy the house. Kevin Durant is the best player in the world. But he needs to be better at picking allies. Going from Steph to Kyrie is like telling England you've decided to roll with North Korea. Kyrie is a voice for the voiceless on a very politicized topic regarding vaccines. I don't know what that means. I'm not sure he does either. But I give Kyrie credit for this. We have asked you to socially distance by six feet. Kyrie Irving has distanced himself from reality. Philadelphia, they are proof that not working and getting assistance through draft picks is not always a solution. But I am worried about the American worker, specifically working conditions. France is leading the charge, proposing a four-day work week. I applaud Ben Simmons for attempting a zero-day work week. Let's go to the Pacific Northwest, our dear friends in Portland. I believe the standing of living has never been better. And I know not all of Portland supports a capitalistic economy, but if Norman Powell can make 90 million, I'd argue things have never been better. (laughs) Utah. I know what the numbers say, and the numbers say really great things. But one of my favorite economists, who's often wrong, once said, the analysis is right, the data is bad. Atlanta, 
Let's get past our differences. To my opposition in Atlanta, I've learned to respect the organization and move forward. I hope you can do the same with me. (laughs) Taxes. Let's talk about them. I made a mistake a year ago. I propose we raise taxes because we need a higher luxury tax in the NBA. We have 10 tax teams paying over $600 million in luxury tax penalties to 20 franchises we're rewarding for not spending more money on players. I know what you're thinking, Miami. What about us? There are two cities in this great country where you can go to pretend to be someone else, Vegas and Miami. And once again, Heat fans are pretending your team belongs in the title contender conversation. Healthcare is always a big issue. I propose healthcare for everyone, and let's have the Clippers pay for it. No pre-existing conditions. You don't even have to tell them what's going on with you at any point, and you can still get four years and $176 million guaranteed. The Heartlands, where the good people are, we know that. I love what Indiana is doing. I applaud Detroit for investing in homegrown resources. I am concerned about the number of imports going into Chicago. Tech is maybe the most important industry. Who knows tech better than Golden State with Apple, Uber, and Draymond Green? Shipping delays. We need stronger harbors. It's been 1,087 days since the last championship in the city of Boston. New York, give me your tired, your poor, and third-tier free agents. Representative Beal still loves his job in our nation's capital. He shows up to work every single day, loves his city, but he has an entire new staff, which proves that in Dallas, one man can't do it alone. New Orleans, some of the strongest people in this country, the great state of Louisiana. You've been able to get through everything, and I believe you can get through whatever this Zion Williamson story will be. If both Whitney Houston... And the Thunder believe the children are our future. That's good enough for me. Family is still the foundation of success. And no better example of that than Charlotte. Although I don't know if it's the best example if the father tells the coach he sucks in two weeks into the season. We need to restore our national parks and monuments like the San Antonio Spurs. I want to also mention our neighbors to the north, Toronto. There's a lot of Canadians that live here that tell us we do everything wrong. But I'd say Toronto's doing it right when it comes to hiring. Hiring from places that don't normally supply NBA talent. New Mexico State, Wichita, and Indiana. Voter rights. I believe we need less people registered to vote. For MVP. Mark Jackson had a fifth place vote in 1999. P.J. Brown in 2005 when he could have voted for Nash, Shaq, Dirk, Duncan, Allen Iverson, or LeBron. Someone voted P.J. Brown fifth. We need less voters. And finally, Houston. I know it's challenging as a border state, but this is another wall Mexico is not going to pay for. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. A gentleman always opens the door for you, but the gentlemen are just as likely to break it down and stash their drugs inside. The Gentleman, based on Guy Ritchie's award-winning film, is a new Netflix series that follows a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out and pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix.
This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news, shows, and more. Plus, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Bruce Feldman, let's talk some college football from Fox Sports and part of their national coverage and also college football writer for The Athletic. All right, Coach O is out. He's going to stay there the rest of the season. He's going to buy out over $17 million, 21, just after an epic run of 19. What happened? You know, honestly, Ryan, I think it's really as simple as this. He didn't win enough uh, over the last year and a half. And he's working for an AD and Scott Woodward, who's not the AD who hired him. Scott Woodward's a guy who likes to make flashy hires. When he was the AD at Washington, he got Chris Peterson to leave Boise State and go there. He got Jimbo Fisher when he was at Texas A&M to leave FSU. He got Kim Mulkey at at LSU to leave Baylor. She was obviously a a very successful women's coach there. I really think it comes down to that. Um, If he won more, he's still there. I, I think really at the core of that, uh, after the national title season, Ogeron made a really bad hire on the defensive side of the ball with Bo Pelini. That was a disastrous hire. Uh, and then the offensive coordinator hire, or pass game coordinator, wasn't a great move either. And then this year, when the pressure was mounting, he ended up hiring two really uh, first green and first time play callers, Jake Peets on offense, Durante Jones on defense. Now, Durante Jones was probably his fifth choice that he got to, but and those guys still might prove to be pretty good coordinators, but there were a lot of growing pains. I mean, you and I were both in the Rose Bowl when UCLA and Chip Kelly staff really outcoached LSU that day. I think, I don't want to say that was the beginning of the end, but that, I think at that point on, he was really on thin ice uh, against Auburn at home. Bo Nix got him, you know, made some great plays. They ended up losing a close game. They were up 13 nothing, lost that game. And then they really got embarrassed at Kentucky where they got the ball run down their throats. And I think from that point on, I know from talking to Ogeron uh, last Friday, before they played Florida, I said, if you win the next couple of games, because they had Florida and then Ole Miss before Alabama, I said, do you think you have a shot? And he's like, no, I think it's done. And as we talked further, you know, even talking to him Saturday after they actually beat Florida and they were a double-digit underdog and they had like half a team, uh, I said, do you think you have a shot? He was like, no, this is, you know, he kind of knew it was over. So it's interesting how it played out. I mean, you win a national title in the, in the, uh, in the state you grew up in and you get fired a year and a half later or a season and a half later. It's pretty crazy. All right. So you're talking to him and he's telling you, like, I don't think there's any chance of me sticking around. Was there anything else that he told you that you could share with us that you think is like insightful into how this went so bad so quickly after the title? You know, I think Ryan, like a lot of people will point to, hey, he had Joe Burrow and that was all Joe Burrow or hey, Joe Brady was the wonderkind, you know, uh, offensive coordinator, you know, in this case, actually passing game coordinator. But I think it was a lot of things that that all fell into place for, for them to win the national title and have arguably the best season any college football team's ever had, what they did in 2019 going 15 and 0. I mean, look, he, he was the one who found uh, Joe Brady. Nobody was trying to hire Joe Brady at that point. Uh, he got Joe Burrow. I mean, Urban Meyer and Ohio State weren't you know, going to give him the keys to the offense. 
And then I think you had some other pieces that fell into place. Justin Jefferson turned out to be way better than people thought. At least the recruiting guys thought. Obviously, Jamar Chase was a special player. Patrick Queen. There were some of those. Well, then after they win the title, you know, it felt like almost everything that could have gone wrong did. I mean, obviously, a, a bigger thing is the pandemic, right? But then you had not just losing a lot of great players to the NFL, but then you had a bunch of opt-outs coming in with guys saying, you know what? You know, remember, the pandemic really hit New Orleans really hard early. And I think that was, a, you know, an impactful thing. As I said, you know, he made some, some, some bad decisions with the coordinators. I also think he made some, some, some big mistakes and critical mistakes in terms of handling the locker room. You know, it was obviously a really challenging time, you know, in the country for a lot of reasons. And I think some of the things he, he did, some of the statements he made, he stepped in it a few times. That only made it worse. And I think, you know, it was kind of a combination of a lot of things that got them to this point. Um, I think at some point it was interesting because, you know, the guy who failed at Ole Miss, he recruited well, but he didn't trust, you know, anybody around him and he micromanaged. That was not him when he was at LSU. But I think in the last, uh, you know, probably after the national title year, I think things got to be very shaky. And I think he didn't know a lot of the people, uh, you know, that all of a sudden had to become his inner circle. And I just think the balance was way off, you know, and I think some of those things, you know, when he said in his press conference, I don't regret anything. I don't know if, you know, if he thought about it for a long time. So yeah, I could have made a better hire there, a better hire there. But I think, you know, the thing that I took from my conversations with him actually before the Florida game were he's 60 years old. Um, he shared with me something about, you know, just kind of the perspective he had, something his dad told him before he passed away 10 years earlier, which was just about, you know, life balance and where you're at and kind of the grind of the coaching life. And I, I think for people like, oh, he's looking for his next job or what's he going to do next? You know, after you, ha you coach at your dream school and you lead them to arguably the greatest season anyone's ever had, I don't know where you go, you know, what's the next coaching job? He's already coached as an assistant in the NFL. He didn't really love that. Uh, I don't see him wanting to go be somebody's D-line coach or defensive coordinator or recruiting coordinator. And I don't see him going to a school that he doesn't feel like is, you know, you know, has, has much of a connection to. So I really thought maybe he had plenty of time to think about this, but I thought he was kind of at peace with way this was headed because it was like, you know what, ultimately, they don't want me here at this point. And, you know, I, I'm not going to keep fighting that battle. I've already proven to myself what... I'm capable of. We won a national title. I don't care if anybody says, oh, it was because of Jamar Chase or it was because of Joe Brady or Joe Burrow. You know, I know the real story of that. I think he was, I think he was at, he's very much at peace with that. That's probably why I think he's fine with, with coaching out the rest of the year at LSU, because I think he really does care about LSU in itself. And also, he's obviously walking away with $17 million. That's quite a parting gift. Yeah, that part is not going to get him a ton of sympathy. There's two things that I want to hit on. Because when you had last year players say, we're going to march through the campus, um, and he had a practice scheduled, I can see the old school football guy going, hey, we have a practice. But what he doesn't realize is that's just not going to fly. Like Especially with something as important as social justice to young students. And they're saying, no, we're not, we're not showing up. And he handled it wrong because I just think for a lot of people, it was a wake-up call and some outdated thinking. Uh, and and he just, I don't think it was necessarily malicious. I don't know enough. You'd know more about it than I would. 
but it was something he just, he didn't get it. He didn't get it. And that was going to be a disconnect for a group of players that, you know, if there was one thing we always thought about Coach O is that guys would run through a wall for him everywhere he went, loved the guy. And then that turned very quickly off of last year with all the guys opting out, which is funny because then they beat Florida. And then the same thing happens before the Florida game this year. Like, oh, this guy's gone for the season. I understand summer injuries, but this is two years of wait. Everybody's always been like, even if you thought Coach O wasn't a great in-game guy, there's always been this tremendous buy-in for the personality. And this is the first time he's probably ever experienced his career to his own undoing, where now all of a sudden it's like, no, guys are actually bailing on you. And that might have been the biggest factor in all of this. Yeah, I think there's a, an expression that to me holds up really well here. It's like, read the room. I don't think he read the room. And I honestly don't know in terms of, I think he has a really good understanding of people and street smarts. I think these issues, I think, were things that honestly that were were hard for him and look they're hard for a lot of coaches to to uh to get their hands around especially coaches who are older right uh he's 60 years old i know that you know brandon staley who's here in southern california with the with the chargers he had a very thoughtful response in the wake of the john gruden stuff a couple of days after and you know like he's a guy in his 30s he's obviously really intelligent i think that resonates with a lot of people and I think in Ed's case, um, he's like I said, he's sixty. I also think he's of a certain, you know, mindset. Like he's not, from to my knowledge, and I feel like I know him pretty well. He's not political at all. You know, the fact that he ended up stepping in it and, and getting, you know, another part of this was, you know, he does an appearance on Fox News and he gets asked, you know, a couple of times about Donald Trump. And he had visited the White House with LSU, and and so Donald Trump was like you know, you know, it was like a fan of his. I think that was a, that all of a sudden became a, like a volatile situation in a locker room that a bunch of players were not, were not comfortable with that. And I think that added to what it was already some friction, you know, again, and like just what I know of him, but there's a lot more head football coaches in college football who are a lot more politically wired than Ed Ogeron is. I would guess almost all of them are. And maybe for that reason, that came to to jump up and bite him. I don't know, you know, because it's it's interesting. Like probably a year and a half ago, I remember one, a trip I took down there. He ended up getting into a little bit of hot water on the other side of the political equation because he's good friends with the governor of Louisiana, who is a Democrat. And I think he had spoken at a luncheon there and that riled up some Republican politicians there. And again, I don't, to what I know of him, he is apolitical and he is just not, you know, something that he's, you know, he's not very wired for. And so the fact that that all of a sudden kind of became part of a, an issue, you know, it's, it, it just, you know, he really stepped in it. That's, that's the only way I could describe it. I don't think that's ultimately what, you know, cost him his job. It certainly didn't help when you had all this other drama going on around though and also you had like i said you know the staff change didn't help them either right and if they're five and one under this is happening which you both know there's something that i need to figure out more on because i know what i've heard and i saw it in the espn report where some of the espn stuff you're like yeah i mean coach O got that one wrong and then some of the other stuff it's like hey eric gilbert transferred and you're like all right well come on i'm like then you don't know what's going on you know right. if, if you're going to get on his case about that one um the Polini hire, even in the ESPN piece, and I know I've read all your stuff too. I, I like 
Do we know, or is it ever going to be told what actually happened with the Pelini hire? Because O gets killed for the hire because they're saying he never interviewed him. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that tells me that maybe he wasn't involved in the hiring part of it. And that the Pelini hire is one of the first things brought up whenever it's like, oh, well, O's out of there for all these different reasons. And he brought in Pelini, who was a disaster. Pelini made $4 million just walking away. And he was a disaster all last season. So I guess the part of me... And also based on some of the conversations I have with people down there, it's like, so wait, if we're all on the record here saying that, oh, never interviewed the D coordinator, then how much did he really have to do with hiring him? Or was he just that reckless in the hire, which I have a hard time believing the second part. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff to untangle on this part of it. Um, You know, obviously, you know, his mentor, as much as any coach he's been around is Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll is a big Bo Pelini guy. Bo Pelini is a protege of Pete Carroll's. And so, I think there was that part of it. I also think, look, Dave Aranda ran a, th- uh, a three-man front, you know, a 34 defense, and that wasn't really Ed's wheelhouse. He was he everything they did at Miami was four-man front. Everything they did at USC was based in that. That's what Bo Pelino was going to go back to. So I think that part definitely appealed to him. But then there's the other piece of it that when Bo Pelini was at LSU last, I mean, they won a national title, and I think there were some people, some important people around LSU who were like really thought he did a terrific job. So I think there was a bunch of stuff that kind of came together. Um, just in my understanding, and he never told me this specifically, but it, you know, in the case of this coaching, this coaching cycle where he was trying to hire a defensive coordinator, I know it went from like, can we get Jim Leonard? Then we're courting Marcus Freeman. There was another SEC coordinator who we met with who I'm not sure he was like, thinks he's a good coach, but didn't think it was a great fit. He wanted Ryan Nielsen, who was a protege of his, who's the Saints assistant head coach. And then it got to Durante Jones. With Pelini, I never heard of anybody else he was really considering. So mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, honestly, I never dug deep enough beyond like, huh, you're going to hire Bo Pelini. And that was about the extent of it. And, you know, it obviously, from the air raid opener, when they played Mike Leach's team, and they made KJ Costello look like, a first like, rounder. Uh, yeah, they made KJ Costello basically look like Peyton Manning. Um, and they got shredded. And then it was you're digging out of a hole from there. And I think that, um, you know, it, it to me, that was, I don't want to say it was the beginning of the end, but it kind of, that part felt like it more than anything else. Because then all of a sudden now, you know, some of the people who, who he, he had talked to, I think about getting, you know, if he was going to try to hire them, I think they knew coming into this year, the AD wants to fire him. They like there was it was like, man, he went on he went on the hot seat in a big hurry, which is like in warp speed time, you know, by coaching circles. For the for a guy who won a national title at least. You have a piece up on the athletic kind of listening through all the possibilities. You threw a lot of names out there. Um, can I ask you, because I want to finish on this? Dabo wouldn't actually do this, would he? I didn't think so. So I started working on that piece and then I got uh, contacted by somebody who's pretty close to Scott Woodward, the AD at LSU. And he said, you're missing a big name. We talked about it. He said, Woodward Woodward really likes Dabo. Now Dabo's buyout's only 3 million. But my point is, why would Dabo leave? He has great facilities. They are really committed to him. He's a god there. Yeah, I don't. And he is in the ACC, where, by the way, Miami and Florida State are still spinning their wheels. There is no competitor there. Then he would jump into the to the SEC West, which is as loaded a division as there's probably ever been in college football. To me, he's already making a fortune. So I didn't see 
But then this person said, look, he's going to make them say no. And so I, I, you know, from everything I've heard about Scott Woodward is he realized, you know what, I can, I'm going to take a shot. I'm not going to be the one who's worried about saying I got turned down by, by, you know, Lincoln Riley or Dabo Sweeney or Jimbo Fisher. I mean, from what I was told, he already had a conversation with Jimbo Fisher um, about this, you know, like before my story was up, at least on Sunday, that's what I was told. So, you know, it's, those guys don't have big buyouts. I think this probably doesn't hurt him at all to ask what, what, you know, what will be fascinating is who they land on. Um, you know, as I reported over the weekend, there's some really influential people inside LSU that are enamored with Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker's in year three as a head coach. This will be his first year as a, you know, first winning season. Um, but he is a Saban assistant. He was there at LSU. People there really respect him. Uh, he knows the conference from his time at, later at Alabama and then as a Georgia defensive coordinator. But, you know, again, it's a gamble just because the track record, a lot of these guys, if you get past the first wave of names, you know, you just fired a head coach in less than two seasons who won a national title. That is the standard. I mean, you know, you, you know who you're going up against in that division, especially if Jimbo's not leaving Texas and now it's Saban and Jimbo. And, you know, it's the rest of it's not that easier. And then you got Kirby Smart recruiting like a madman and the other side. So um, I am very fascinated to see what LSU lands on. What do you think ends up happening with the Big Ten where all these teams start to face each other now? You know, I had um, I had uh, Ohio State a couple weeks ago against uh, our friend Van Pelta, alma mater, and it got ugly fast. Um, I think they're I think they figured out some stuff right now. To me, I would not bet against Ohio State coming out of their offense is to me uh, the most explosive in the country. CJ Stroud is a really good young quarterback. Travion Henderson is a phenomenal player. He may be the best running back Ohio State's had in a in I don't know. I, I don't want to go back to like Archie Griffin kind of stuff because that then you're talking about, but past Dobbins, maybe past Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, he's really special. The offensive line's good. They have the best group of receivers. And now the defense, I think they figured some stuff out. I don't think they're going to be great. I feel like they're going to be a little bit, they're going to be probably better than what the Oklahoma defenses have been but that's a lot better than what they were when they played Oregon. Then you have Penn state, which I feel like is, is, is relatively limited. You know, I mean, Sean Clifford was hurt that hurt them. I feel like they're pretty good on defense. I feel like Penn state is not a real legit can get in the playoff and win a national title game. I feel like the same for Michigan state, you know, like Mel Tucker's done a really good job, but they barely survived against Indiana. They barely survived against Nebraska. I think Michigan is, is better, but I don't think they're that much better. So to me, Unless Ohio State has a meltdown, I think Ohio State is coming out of there at at twelve and one. They're gonna they're gonna beat everybody they face. I don't think their margin for error is what it used to be, but just because their defense is really shaky. But I do think their defense is better now than what it was at the beginning of the year with Matt Barnes running it. And I feel like what what has helped them is now some of these young guys in the secondary have some experience because they looked really lost, Ryan, when Joe Moorhead and Oregon kind of tore them up. Uh, back in Columbus in, in mid-September. Give me a, a sense now, a week removed, on what's going to happen with Spencer Rattler. You know, I don't think, from what we know, and I think we talked to some of the same people, that the NFL people are like, yeah, he's he could come out and he'll be a first-round pick. I mean, you look at him, you've seen him in person. There's no wow factor physically with Spencer Rattler. You know, he runs okay, but not nothing special. 
you know, physically, he's not a big guy. You don't, you wonder how well he would hold up. He throws it well, but it's not like we're talking about Russell Wilson's arm here either. Um, and then there's, uh, there's honestly some, some, I would say some character questions, but it's not like he's wowing people in that regard. He had some baggage when he left high school. I don't know if people love how he's handled some of this um, as it goes. I just think he's good. It's probably in his best interest if Caleb Williams keeps playing close to how he's played in the first couple of times we've seen him. Caleb Williams is going to be the guy, and they may be a they may be a national title team with how good their offenses look with him in it. I just think if you're Spencer Rattler, you're going okay. What's my next option? I got to probably transfer someplace else. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean I try to you know go to someplace that's one player away that needs a quarterback that I can jump in and and spark and you know have kind of a uh, Jalen Hurts kind of, um, you know, he's not the same kind of player as Jalen, but obviously, you know, sort of a similar arc to his career. Um, I don't know. I think that's because if he goes in the draft, I'd be surprised if he's taken in the top 75 picks. I just don't know who's going to, from what we've seen so far, I don't know what anybody's going to go. Yeah, I think he can be a franchise quarterback. Did they know Caleb was better the whole time and just be like, hey, this is the best way to do this? Like, we haven't seen Caleb in a game let's let's you know spencer was better at the end of last year because i can't imagine what those practices are like now that we've seen caleb Williams, especially the running element that he brings and the size uh i just wonder what those practices were like and what the honest conversations were with the staff would kind of meet later that night the only thing i had heard that you know kind of gives credence to him not having the job was his understand his grasp of the system wasn't where they felt like it really needed to be not a knock on him it's just a young quarterback getting up to speed when you think you have a all American caliber quarterback. Like I, I do think that from some of the conversations I've had with OU staffers, um, and I don't want to say you and I know more about Spencer Rattler than they do because they see him every day at practice. But I wonder if they, like, it feels like they overestimated just how good of a quarterback he is. Not that he can be, but that had he, how he is. I mean, you know this, you know, you and I both know Jim Donnan for, for a year and a half. Jim Donnan has been telling me Caleb Williams is going to overtake Spencer Rattler. You watch. And then he's like, I checked with guys on their staff, say, what's the chance? And then even this summer, he said the same thing. And Donnan was right. I mean, he had seen him in camps and he knew how gifted uh, that Caleb Williams is. And I think he, he obviously coached at Oklahoma. So he knows some people there probably who have a better feel for everything going on around Spencer Rattler. But it's it's a really interesting subplot that actually may be more than a subplot to this season, depending on if Caleb Williams can make a run at the Heisman. It's still too early to say that's a real thing yet. But, um, you know, they're undefeated and they're dangerous. And we know Lincoln's a really good coach. And he, he like a lot of stuff could fall into place now in the second half of the season. Like, I think they are the most intriguing team to watch because they're definitely better than they've been on defense. It's not to say they're great, but they're better. Um, they have really good receivers. The running backs are good. I feel like, you know, what he does in the run game, like they've had guys, obviously Kyler could fly and Baker was a, was a decent runner. And obviously Jalen Hurts was a physical guy. Now this guy brings a similar dimension. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I think it's going to be exciting to see what he can do. But again, he's still young. There's probably going to be some games where he, he may turn it over three times. No, you're right. I mean, we're brutal on these young QBs. I mean, you come in and it's like, hey, you had a pick. Oh, my God, he had two picks in this game. It's like, hey, everybody is going to, like, you know, even 
Clemson, when I watched DJ there, and I can't believe the offense is this bad, and you expect the defense still good, but they struggle with Syracuse. You know, I mean, I watched that whole game because I was like, let me catch myself up on on Clemson here, and even with some of the injuries of Clemson's defense, you know, the defense is stacked and still going to be good, but they're not they're not turning any kind of page offensively. We're halfway through the season. It's hard. Guys are they're learning right before our eyes. Yeah. And you know, in DJ's case, he's been hyped up so much. And I'm not saying he won't be a really special quarterback, but he's as big as a tight end. He can throw it like, you know, Josh Allen. Um, but there's other things that go into it, you know. I mean, I remember talking to a coach who evaluated both Bryce Young and DJ in high school when they were probably like juniors, and he was like, Bryce Young was tiny, but he did a lot of things. You're like, that really translates. We don't have to, you know, like there was some, I don't want to compare him to Russell Wilson because physically he's not as thick or strong or, you know, that, but there were some things that they saw. Whereas with DJ, it's like sometimes there was such a wow factor with the velocity in his arm. And I think people forget, especially there where like their offensive line's not very good. So when you have things where they're deficient in another way that maybe sometimes you know, us in the media, we, we overlook that stuff shows up, right. You know, where it's like, Oh, there's somebody gets beat outside and all of a sudden something's rushed or whatever. And, you know, it's just like, he's learning and I still think he's going to be a really good quarterback, but there's, there was drop off all over the place at Clemson, no ATN, uh, bad offensive line. People figured out what they do. Trevor's a more willing runner than I think DJ is at this stage of his career. So, I mean, I think this is a good you know, like me personally, I think we're always quick to jo- jump on to the next thing and, and predict it. And sometimes we miss a couple steps. Let me finish with Georgia here. Um, you know, this is actually the de- the defense we already know. Okay. I mean, every single time you watch Georgia, you're like, oh, okay, who, wait a minute, who's that guy, whatever. And you're just going through it. You're keeping track of like seven, eight different guys are making big time plays. I would argue, um, you know, Zamir White's been their lead back, James Cook. Dalvin's guy there. These are good running backs. I don't look at them as the running backs. Like they've had stretches where you're like, that guy's a per- like that guy's insane. You can correct me if I'm wrong here at any point. Their best playmaker right now is Bowers, the tight end, who is is undersized when you compare him to Darnell Washington, who only has three catches, but looks like he's Shaq out there. Uh, they haven't had pickings. We know that it's Stenson Bennett when it's not JT. What are they going to end up doing with this offense? Like what's going to happen at quarterback? Because as great as Bowers is and Ladd is, you still don't feel like you have that crazy receiver threat. And I still don't know that, you know, I don't know if you disagree with me on the running backs there a little bit, but it's funny that this team is this dominant and some of it's a schedule a little bit and getting Clemson at the right time. And I'm not doubting them. It's just weird that we're halfway through this and I have no idea what the offense is going to be once the games really start to matter. Right. And think about it. Next week, they're going to play Florida. Florida just got beat by LSU and they got it run down their throats by half an LSU team. So if George, like, I don't, I'm not saying Georgia has nothing to gain by beating them 42 to seven, but I think if they beat them 42 to seven, you just beat a, a 500 Florida team. Right. I, I, and that's not Georgia's fault. I and mean, by the way, to inter- interrupt real quick. Is Florida going with Anthony Richardson now the rest of the way or what? I don't know how they don't because... That wasn't even close. Yeah, it's not. And also, he makes so many... You know, he can be really special. I'm not saying Emory Jones isn't a good player, but I think what you run the risk of if you're Dan Mullen, you... If you lose Anthony Richardson, who's from basically in, you know, U.S. backyard, if you lose him to transfer someplace else to jump into the portal, they're going to be people all over you because they already are. 
I mean, his record in the last eight games against Power Five opponents is two and six. You know, as bad, we talked about LSU earlier, as bad as LSU has been in the last year and a half, they've beat them twice. Once in the swamp, I mean, with half a team last year and half a team this year. I mean, so if you're Dan Mullen, you cannot afford to misplay the Richardson situation. They're already going to be calling for the, you know, Todd Grantham, the defensive coordinator's head. But to go back to the Georgia game, you know, like Georgia's, I think it's just going to maul people the rest of the way until they probably play Alabama in the SEC title game. And then we'll, we'll find out more because I think Alabama has, you know, they have some big people up front starting with Evan Neal. They, you know, Bryce Young is a better quarterback than what they've seen. They have some weapons. They have speed outside. I think the part with Georgia that I'm hesitant on, I mean, right now, I, I think they, are, they deserve to be number one. The part I'm still not sure on is whether it's Stetson Bennett or JT Daniels. Think about the last five national championship teams. They have all had elite quarterbacks, all of them. And if you go back before that, the ones like, say, when Jacob Coker wins a national title, there were elite skill guys around them. Uh, you know, I don't know, like the, the three running backs we you we were talking about, I know that it's Zamir White, it's obviously Cook, and then Kendall Milton. They were all like, at some point or another, like the number one running back recruit in the country. They all have ability. You just wonder, is anyone, is any one of them kind of Nick Chubb or is they, are they girly? Do they take it over? Because they can all be really good backs and, you know, rotate in and everything. Um, but you know, when the quarterback play is somewhat underwhelming. And I think JT is more accurate. Stetson Bennett is better making extending plays. I'm not sure either guy is, I don't know when they get into a tight game and it's going to be 28, 28 and somebody kind of is able to light up the Georgia secondary enough, because I think that's the one area they're really, they're amazing up front in the front seven. The secondary, I don't think is it's good. I don't think, um, you know, Mark Stoops, who obviously knows he just faced them. And he coached on the great Miami team uh, in the early 2000s, talked about best front seven he's ever seen. And, you know, that Miami group had Vilma and DJ Williams, obviously had a bunch of other first round picks up front. But what it really had was the best strength of that group was in the back end with Ed Reed and three other guys who were first round picks. I don't think Georgia is there on that part of it. But, you know, I'm not all, I, I think I'd probably feel differently if Kirby Smart had won a national title and given the benefit of the doubt. But I just, feel like until we know more about their offense and especially the quarterback, I'm a little hesitant to put all my chips to the table and go, yeah, the defense is amazing. They got all these five-star guys and they're going to win it. And maybe that changes when George Pickens finally gets healthy. He's their best receiver. He's been out for the whole year with, you know, with the injuries suffered before the season. We think he'll be back at some point, maybe by um, at least by when they play Alabama, if that comes back, then he, he, compliments Bowers in Washington and you have another, you have an outside guy to scare people, but we'll see. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know who beats them, but I'd have a hard time picking uh, them over Alabama just based on Nick Saban there. And, and he still has some, you know, he also, by the way, has Will Anderson and a bunch of dudes on his defense too. All right, I can't I can't let you go without at least mentioning the Pac-12 here, which I don't like doing. I feel like um, all of us are dismissive of them. They have one team ranked with Arizona State losing to Utah. But I look at this as good news. Um, even though Oregon, every time I watch them, and I'm holding them to the standard. I'm holding to the playoff standard. And if that's the standard, I don't like what I see. Is Utah the best team in the Pac-12 now that they made a change at quarterback? No, I can't. I, I don't think they are. I think they are. 
the best coach team in the Pac-12. I think Kyle Whittingham has has managed them through an incredibly hard situation, you know, with Absolutely. a tragic, you know, second death of of a player in less than a year, a year there. Um, I still think they're 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 more limited on offense. You know, I look at, you know, you, you and I both saw UCLA kind of at its best. Yeah. Um, you know, they didn't have Kyle Phillips last week, but they have they have a terrific run game. They have an experienced O line. They have two terrific running backs. I think Zach Charbonnet. He could be the best, you know, the best back on the West Coast. Um, you know, they have a really good tight end in Greg Dulcich. I think, to me, you know, again, they looked really bad against Arizona State. But I, like, you know, comparing those guys to Utah, I'm just a little bit, I don't want to say like Georgia, but I'm just not convinced that, yes, I know Brand Keithy's a really good tight end kind of X-factor guy. And Covey is, you know, is a good adds a good dimension to them. I just don't think, um, I'm just a little skeptical on their offense. I think they're the best team on the, on the West coast. Yeah. You were uh, very convincing there. Um, very good. The, the immediate, like, eh, I don't see that. I just, I loved watching Utah in that Arizona state game. I just did. I thought that they were tougher. They're always the Ryan They're you know, like you, you go to the, one of the best, the best things I ever got about being a sideline reporter. It was a new appreciation for Utah. Because when you go to the game, yeah. they're always the tougher team. They may not be the better team, but they're the tougher team. And that starts with, you know, the head coach who's probably as tough as any guy who's a head coach in college football. Yeah, they're tough. And they they just have these guys from all over the place. Like, it's an unbelievable melting pot of personalities for players. And then once you see those guys stay around there for a couple of years, I don't know if it's just they get pissed off at the world or what, but they, like, take it out on guys on Saturday and I, I just I felt like rising the, the sophomore quarterback I just really liked watching him I it, it was late it was the only game I was paying attention to after that five-hour Tennessee marathon against Ole Miss so I had a new appreciation for him but you're right when you match up the UCLA talent with them even Oregon despite missing you know one of their best front guys and and missing um their, their best back. running back yeah. you know CJ but all right well cool I'm glad we got that in there because I, I didn't want to you know, start saying too crazy. You check me on that a little bit, but I just, there I am. I'm done. I just like the Utes for a night. Thanks, Bruce. Okay, that's good. I mean, look, I I, I like them all. They're fun to watch because they're so physical. They're underrated. And I think the head coach flosses his teeth with barbed wire. So, I mean, it's like, <laughs> they're a badass team. I mean, and that, that, honestly, they expose a lot of people. I think that's as much as anything. Like, they're, they're a proving ground. If you can't measure up, you get embarrassed. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Ryan. This episode is brought to you by Cintas. In sports, you're always thinking of that next play. It's the same with business. Cintas has the products, people, and solutions that help keep you a step ahead. And your Cintas MVPs are the dedicated service reps who help make sure your team has what you need when you need it. They really got you covered. Cintas has workwear and apparel for almost any job imaginable. They have styles that are durable, comfortable, and great looking, and they'll deliver fresh uniforms back to your business every week. They'll deliver floor mats and restroom products and stock your essential cleaning supplies. They provide first aid supplies, safety training, and life-saving AED defibrillators. And then they'll even test and inspect your fire extinguishers, fire protection systems, and emergency exit lights. Visit Cintas.com and get ready for the workday. This episode is brought to you by Crown Royal. This NBA season, Crown Royal is celebrating the loyal fans that show up for every tip-off. I love every tip-off. I love every one of them. 
And people ask me, hey, are you tipping off tonight? Because they know that's code for are the games on? And I'll say, yeah, come on over. Bring your kids. I don't care about the audio feed. You can walk in front of the television because this time of year, the second half of the NBA, it's about family. And that's one of my favorite things about my life. Crown Royal believes if you live generously, life will treat you royally. Visit crownroyal.com to get ready for tip-off. Please drink responsibly. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Before we get to life advice, I uh, want to let you know that Friday we're doing a two-part podcast. Well, it's going to be the same podcast, but we have two different guests regarding the Hagler-Hearns fight from 1985. I think it's the best fight I've ever seen. The war is what it was billed. The war is also the name of a book by Don Stradley, which I mentioned I've been reading. Finished it. We had Stradley and Bob Arum who promoted the fight. So that's going to be two guys on Friday's pod. We're still not sure what we're doing with the rest of it. I want to do this. Let's just do it now while football and basketball starts up. But I think for the younger listeners, if you haven't seen the fight, watch the fight first and then listen to the interviews. Um, all you have to do is watch it on YouTube. It takes, honestly, the entire thing. Leadens intro, trumpet, flag that didn't make it all the way down the building. Uh, interviews, it's 20 minutes. The fight doesn't even make it three rounds, but it's the best. So, you know, look, you can still do the interview. You can watch the fight after. It doesn't matter. I think listening to the interview after the fight would be the better way to go. But, you know, you do whatever you want. I'm not in charge of everybody. Uh, so Rudy is back from Tulum International. Steve, what uh, what was it like? Quick review. Good to get away, you know, a week in Tulum, good times, a little bit tanner, a little bit more my like tequila. I think tolerance is a little bit higher. Uh, they like to get after it there, dude. Like just free shots everywhere. Free shots when you get tacos and like a random like, you know, stand on the side of the road. The one thing that was insane about Mexico and I had never been, bro, you could just drop, you could buy drugs wherever you want. Like there's guys just selling HGH on the side of the street. Like pharmacies have Viagra pills. Like not that I partook in any of this stuff. Guys on the, on the beach are selling cocaine. I was just stunned, dude. It was like the Wild West out there. I just couldn't believe it was like an apothecary on every corner. Kyle, did you hear that? So is Tulum a, a city or a county? Like where exactly did it's, you go? It's kind of like in the middle of the jungle. It's not, it's, it's what, two hours south of Cancun. So you find a Cancun, you drive south. And it has this weird vibe to it where it's not really commercial at all, but people get after it there, man. And it's right on the beach. It's like right near these like Mayan ruins. It's a super cool place, but it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I liked it. I, I think it's got a really, uh, I don't know. There's just, it's just, it's its own thing. I know that sounds stupid, but it, it's, I don't like places that don't have a little character. You know, I, I've never been one that would just go to a resort and then stay at the resort for seven days and then I leave. I'm not a huge cruise guy. You probably guess that one. So I like that <laughs> Tulum, you can get out, you can explore a little. There's a little danger. You know, there's, it's a little dangerous, but like not really dangerous. You know, it's like not the dangerous. road is the narrow. The people part of it isn't dangerous. Although I heard if you go into the city, like when I was down there, apparently there were some shootings. So I, they were like, don't go in there. And I was like, all right, whatever. Like I met some guy, I was, I was at a restaurant bar eating dinner and the guy was like, yeah, I moved my family down here for the weekend because it was dangerous in the main section. And I was like, all right, whatever. Um, I think the only danger is walking in the street. I can't believe people aren't plowed by cars regularly because there's stretches where there's no sidewalks and it's just the one street that you're in and out. I did not go on any Viagra HGH Coke benders when I was there. Nice. Good. But um no, we went to a shop and we were like buying sunscreen because we're stupid and we forgot. And she handed us this like 
list of drugs. And she's like, would you like any of these? And the first one was just human growth hormone, Viagra, like whatever, any like anything, literally anything you wanted, all the stuff that you need prescriptions for in the States that down there, they're just like, fuck it, we're good. Yeah. I, I, did you say you're surprised I went there? No, no, no. I'm surprised that you can get any of that stuff just without a prescription, without anything. They just oh, want to oh, keep, they're, oh. they're giving it to you like candy. Okay. Kyle, any other adepts to this? Nothing? No. So Tulum, right? Oh. That's, I'll go to the same Tulum, place. Tulum, dude. Check it out. You both it. went if I just say, bring me to Tulum. Got it. Okay. Uh, all right. Here we go. Um, life advice. We did have the guy who talked about his girlfriend being a mess because I think it was brought up. It's like, well, just don't go to her place anymore. Apparently, he lives with a roommate. The roommate owns the place they live in. The girlfriend came over with her dog. Her dog apparently is just as messy as she is and pissed everywhere. So now she's not allowed to come over because apparently she always has to come over with the dog. So his place is now off limits. Um, but he did enjoy us making fun of him for part of the email, which I do appreciate because we're all just having trying to have fun here a little bit. So that's not a solution to that. I don't think he liked our other advice to just start trashing his place. Oh, definitely um, not if he's got somebody who's making rules for him. Right, right. Okay, all right, let's get to it. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. First one here. It's a two-parter. I normally wouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it. 24, 5, 8, 155. Used to be a good athlete. ACL. Tear. Fix it, man. You're 24 rehab your ACL and be a good athlete again. Or maybe you weren't. Maybe it wasn't the ACL. All right. Okay. Big fan of the pod. Four of my best friends and I just got our first place in college. Oh, post-college in LA. We're all born and raised in LA. Three of the guys actually went to Texas. I went to USC. Um, all right, cool. They're all super into the Lakers. Lakers fans, very passionate. We've lived at our place since June and found out last week Carmelo owns the house right across the street from us. Can I just interject there for a second? It's your first place post-college. You're in your early 20s and Carmelo Anthony's your neighbor. Fuck you. So either, yeah, so either <laughs> Mello is worried about the money coming in or you guys are hooked up. Okay, all right. Not important, though. Not important. So apparently Mello's house was vacant all summer, but training camp for the Lakers started uh, and he moved back in. As we know, the season started last night. Lakers didn't look that good. I'm not that worried about it. Although the Westbrook part, you know, I'm not going to freak out about a bad Westbrook night uh, because it has nothing to do with the playoffs. I briefly saw him the other day so I can confirm it's true, but was unable to approach him. Our question is, how do we approach Mello? Our goal is to really boy him up and not just be a bunch of fanboys. Oh, Jesus. Leave a bottle of wine with a note. Invite him over for drinks or dinner. Any advice would be appreciated. Um, he he sent a follow up <laughs> just a couple of days ago. <laughs> said wanted to um, <laughs> let you know that we have yet to make our first point of contact with Mello. I spoke with his chef yesterday while she was unloading some of the uh, big old King Alaskan crabs out of her car. She was super friendly, but I did not mention anything in regards to Mello. Any help would be appreciated. Thanks, man. All right, what you guys are trying to do here is really hard. Okay, because you you just admitted you're all like crazy Lakers fanboys. You're 24, so you're younger than him in years, but you're also even younger in like experience years. Melo's seen some shit. All right, so Melo's been around. Melo's gone through the grind of of being an NBA superstar. My guess would be when you say we want to boy him up, but not be fanboys. I think it's impossible for you. I think it's going to be impossible for your entire group. Like any, if you run into Mello 
And I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to do the, hey, I'm cool. <laughs> like, don't, don't size me up. Don't dismiss me immediately. Like, it's cool. Like, you just chill with us. We just hang out. And because you want to know why I know? Because I have tried to do it. Okay. Not with Mellow, but when I've been with somebody who I know is at a higher level of whatever stature, however we keep track of that shit in this country, um, where I want to break through and be like, look, we'd actually, you know, probably be cool, but I got to play it cool here. I got to play it cool. I'm 20 years older than you guys, and it doesn't always work out for me. All right. There's no way you guys are going to be able to do it. You're going to have these, no offense, these dumb looks in your face. Your eyes are going to be like, you're just going to be too psyched. You want this so bad is the reason you're not going to be able to pull this off. I don't think Mello is going to hang out with you and your 24-year-old friends. I don't think he's going to do that. You can invite him over for drinks. You could do any of these things. I think leaving a bottle of wine or something or a fancy bottle of tequila and leaving a note. But when you say, hey, why don't you just come over? We'll all be on the same level, be normal. I think you guys will be incapable of doing that because it's Carmelo Anthony and he's now a Laker. Like I just... What are you going to ask about? Have you gone over topics? What do you think about the debt? You know, you guys are going to be sitting there being like, tell us about the Knicks. What's LeBron like? Like, you're going to do all the stuff that you would want to do because now if Mello were even going to give you this audience. But I have to tell you, if you're Mello in this instance, he is calloused to, to people like you. And I'm not saying people like you in a derogatory sense. I'm just saying like, the citizens, the commoners, all right, which is what most of us all are when we're talking about super, super elite level of fame, all right? So he is not going to give you the benefit of the doubt. He is going to think like you're every other person that wants something from him, all right? And there, again, there's a really good chance that if he's a Laker living in your neighborhood, he's not looking for new friends, new friends that are also obsessed with basketball and him and are this much younger than him. I'm not saying it's impossible. I would say shoot your shot, but I don't think, I think I know you without knowing you that you're not going to be able to uh, contain your excitement and your nervous energy, and it's going to send off a vibe that's the opposite of, hey, I'm cool and I'm over this and you, we should all just hang out together. I've learned this numerous times. Just because you get along with somebody who's famous, it doesn't mean they actually want to start hanging out regularly with you. Kyle? Yeah couple of thoughts don't do it man don't do it i think don't try anything no bottle of tequila because no, you know what this is <laughs> this is it's not fucking flushing this isn't brooklyn like this isn't a city where people have like neighbors that they like know and love like you know it's just it's just not it's not a name it's a very isolated city so it's like if you were like in a suburb of charlotte if he was in like the hornets or something i would say i don't really know the vibe of that but like everything's so isolated. Nobody wants to know their fucking neighbor. So you just trying to be like, the only reason that you think it's okay to say hi to him is because you know where he lives and you know where you like be able to see him. But like, this isn't like a normal, That's this isn't like a town where that's a normal thing that neighbors do. It's like, hey, notice we're neighbors. Like, here's some liquor. And like, uh, now the added thing, the added layer of I'm a celebrity and like, you know who I am. It's just fucking weird. Just don't like you have to be like organic. Like I haven't really had I've actually had many interactions with celebrities, but only a couple that are like normal and genuine. Like everybody that goes into the Bill Simmons podcast, they're not like you want to fucking hang out after this. And I know it's a little different, but like <laughs> only two times I can remember 
like hanging out with a celebrity. I smoked a cigarette with Walton Goggins and I smoked a cigarette with John Hamm. And it was both because we were at a, a place where cigarettes were smoked, not because I was like, hey, dude, do you want to hang out with me and smoke a cigarette? Do you know what I mean? Like it has to be organic and it can't be you like, hey, I noticed you lived here. So I walked on your property and dropped off a bottle of tequila. It just sounds weird. He's not going to I don't think he's going to. He probably won't hate you. It's just not going to go the way you want it. And it might actually make him feel weird. And I don't think that's what you want if you're a fan of Mella. That's all I'm saying. Wow. There was there was some serious just animosity in that response. The tone of your voice. I don't know that I've heard he's this. He's just like 24 and he like feels like it's going to work out. I just, I, I, and I hate that he's probably a rich kid. I don't know, but I'm just going to, I'll be done. I'll say that's it. where <laughs> this went wrong. That's where this, uh, no, you know what though, Kyle, you're right about everything. This isn't going to work. It isn't going to work. I'm saying, you know, sending over a bottle of 1942 and whatever, but it's still not going to be like, I mean, look, what, what do we hear the story of how Ben Wallace used to race cars with like neighborhood kids, remote cars in Detroit and everybody used to love them. And it was just cool. It's not impossible, but I think I have a good sense of, of where Mello is at. And I don't, I don't think he's, like, would he feel obligated to come over and do? I just don't think he's going to do any of those things, you know. And I, and I, again, I think the emailer himself. I don't dislike him. I'm just saying I think I know where your head is at with you and your friends, and you're obsessed with trying to make this contact with Carmelo. That he's that you're not, you're going to fuck it up, even if you do. You know, he's going to read you guys and be like, oh, you know, these guys are fanboying. Out. You said you don't want to do that. I don't think you're capable of it. Uh by the way, John Hamm, real quick, when you guys smoked a cigarette together, did you talk about anything? What did you guys hit on? Actually, it was kind of quiet. We didn't talk about much. I can't remember. I was actually, it was Park City, so the air was a little thinner, and I had a few brews, if you know what I mean. So nice. I don't really remember too much. It was just you two? Just us two, yeah. Wow. So you were hammered. and No pun intended. You... <laughs> nice. <laughs> well done. I mean, did he know your Bill's guy though? Yeah, yeah, we so, were at the table. Yeah. We were we were like at the table at the table together at this like resort, I guess. I don't know. Must have been where like the important people at Sundance go. But like we were both out there organically and it wasn't like, you know. So, yeah, it was cool. And then the second one, I did follow him out cuz I felt like we were cigarette buds, but I didn't feel super close to him, so. Like, hey, what's up with that Peter Francis son of a bitch? <laughs> I'd have a hard time. If, he, if we ran into him tonight, there'd be words. Kyle, it was a TV show. I don't care. He hit on your wife and she was fucking pregnant. But Kyle, relax. All right. Um, so Rudy, anything to add to this? You no, hate just, this. It, you hate no, it. I know no, you. it just sucks because it's Carmelo, so it's impossible. You guys are right. I mean, I think the only way would be you have to impress him with your coolness. You have to make him come to you. But the likelihood of that actually happening and you being able to pull off some sort of scheme to make that happen is is so low that I just don't think it's possible. What you guys said, if it was, I don't know, Ken Bazemore or Taylor Horton Tucker or Malik Monk, you'd have probably like a much better shot. But I don't think Melo is interested in hanging out with any 24 year old dudes and especially guys that are going to be fanboys in his face. So I would say lure him with maybe like a wine shipment, an expensive wine shipment. Make sure he's around and see like he sees the, you know the truck come up and he sees that you guys are getting cases of wine because maybe I'd pique his interest. But if you go straight to him with like an invitation or something, it's just going to be a hard no. Yeah, I mean, the fact that that was even presented in the email and invite him over for drinks or dinner. <laughs> do you know how bad he doesn't want to do that? Like Mello wakes up every day 
going, my list of priorities is get buckets and not to go to a stranger's house for dinner. 24 year olds. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. I think, so, I think different player, play Mario Kart, different player, different city, maybe, but this isn't the type of town where people are interested in me and their neighbors. Yeah. I like what you guys, Talon Horton, Tucker. They just, it's Pacers, the luck of the draw. They screwed right. up. Yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Their house is probably not. Well, they're terrible. doing all right, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's not feel too bad for the guys here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, this is a different one, but I, I feel like we need to challenge ourselves to mix them up um, more often because we can get a little too relationship money-ish with these. And I, I want to take a break from them for a little bit. Okay. Um, <laughs> here we go. 59177. 177, 177. Ryan, you introduced me to Big Cat in the outset of the nationwide quarantine. And since the serendipitous March uh, 2020, uh, that serendipitous March of 2020, I've become an ardent aficionado of PMT and apparently words as well. But so, hey, look at that. Helping that little startup. Pardon my take. My question is, if you believe that a crew uh, of you, Kyle and Steve, Oh, okay. So he wants to know if I think. All right. So here's this guy really put some time into crafting this. So I, I have to do it the justice it deserves. It's quite a wordsmith. Okay. My question is Do you believe that a crew of you, Kyle, and Steve would be victorious in a fight versus PFT, Dan, and Billy football? Um, <laughs> a little about myself. I'm 21, a two stripe purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I also uh, box. Furthermore, I'm a history major who's matriculated uh, at a Pac-12 school. I don't ever street fight, but I've witnessed a healthy amount of them. And it's to my belief that in a street fight, your crew would eke out a victory over PMT. My rationale is as someone who's trained before, imperative for you, Ryan, um, to use your skills Dean, he remembers the Dean Muay Thai stories. So uh, again, that was a very long time ago that I would use the Muay Thai and Billy and take him to the ground immediately. Although most of my stuff with Dean was all stand up. So the ground game is not strong here um, to neutralize his licensed hand. I've heard that PFT um, a ver before that he's all it's got, there's so many vocabulary words in here that almost like most of the audience isn't going to get. And there's a couple that I'm not sure of either. Um, so don't write emails like this in the first place because you're just showing off. Uh, all right, let's just go through this whole thing. He has me taking out Billy, um, and that Kyle with his size and fighting experience and that he had a bat in his house for a while to handle disputes that you could take PFT and that Dan big cat against Saruti is a toss up. Is it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if Rudy, he's so much bigger than you. Like if he doesn't kick your ass, he should have to leave the industry. That should be a retirement match. I was like, okay, me versus PFT. He's a little older than me. Like I think Kyle could maybe take big cat with youth. uh, But then do you want to match up strength with strength? Like I was thinking maybe like Billy football versus me. Obviously, Billy football takes me out. But I think you two could beat up the other two and we'd probably win. Right. Then somebody just helps Saruti. That's what I thought. Like, yeah. what, whichever one finished first could uh, could help Saruti. Or me. I'll just get knocked out immediately knows. by Billy Football, and then you guys take it from there. I don't know. Big Cat seems like he's like he's like a, a yo-yo, a bit of a yo-yo. Like, sometimes he looks yoked. Sometimes he looks like 
Yeah, he's you not yoked. I, mean? I know he's not he's yoked, but sometimes not. he's looking leaned out, and then sometimes he does. Sometimes he's looking like you know those those Saturday the donut pictures he posts. So I just really I never really know where he's at. Sometimes I'm like, geez, he's looking good. And other times I'm like, oh, that's what he normally looks like. So I don't know what I'll kind of big cat we'd be getting. I'll say this too: PFT with or without his sunglasses on, because with the sunglasses on, he's more intimidating. But recently, I saw he took the sunglasses off, and he's Uh-oh. a much less intimidating looking guy. So I think we could take PFT without the sunglasses. Uh oh. That was, this is almost mean now. Um, So he has me going against Billy. He has Kyle against PFT. And then the Saruti <laughs> big cat thing is, it's just not a toss up. He's a big guy. He's just too much bigger than you, Saruti. So he has what, five inches and at, at least 50 pounds and probably more? No, I think he's like six four. He's really tall. Yeah. It's, it's, it's and not would, a match. I would agree, Kyle. His picture's. Sometimes I think he looks legitimately attractive. And then other times I'm like, okay, not not wicked hot in this picture. I mean, he's a cute um, kid. He has a good face. Hey, look at Kyle. That's that's really nice. So, by the way, why do they get Billy and not Hank? Isn't Hank more of the show than Billy that's what is? I thought. But <laughs> I right. guess for, Billy's for like fight purposes, known for we fighting, have to leave right? Billy in there. Yeah, yeah. He, he boxed a little bit and he took out Jose Canseco. I can guarantee not. I don't think any of the three of us will take a dive, though. So that that could be more challenging than Billy's last thing. Um, he said street fight, right? So location matters. If it's a bar, there's lots of stuff to get hit with. All right. He, let me stay with the email here. The case for PMT would be if Dan finishes Steve immediately to engender the three-on-two advantage. So in summary, Steve is the consequential X factor. I hope this doesn't come across as too sordid of a thought exercise, but fighting has been... Um, <laughs> It's been recently a motif of life advice. So the timing feels felicitous. All right. Okay. Um, I don't, don't, now I'm wondering if these guys sent this. You may analyze this latent throwaway down in an entirely different way. And I welcome each of your perspectives. I'll leave you with this. All right. Now he's Lakers. He's doing a Lakers. What time did he send this? Is this at fucking 4 a.m.? I was going to say, it sounds like 3 right. in the morning. No, it isn't. It isn't. He sent it during the day. Okay. All right. Um, I like Kyle's chances against Big Cat. I don't think he has a switch. I'll say it right now. I don't think Big Cat has a switch. Wow. I think he's big, but I don't think he has a switch. I think Saruti's a shit talker, but I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I just don't. <laughs> I don't know that I'm going to be able to count on you, but I think you sucker punch somebody, you know. Um, now, the other thing about PFT is he's got pretty big legs. He's a pretty sturdy dude. So I don't know if you'd have to factor that in, but I still think I like Kyle. The problem is it comes down to Billy and me. And um, I know I have the old man strength on him. I have no idea what I bring to the table at this point anymore. There's a pretty good chance if I get punched in the face really quick, hard, I'd be like, you know what? I don't want to fucking do this anymore. Who do I, what do I have to prove? Um, but who knows? Maybe if I'm really, you can't catch me on the wrong day. Um, maybe I come in looking for it. So that one, that one's tough. I don't know how to call that one. I'm not, cause I'm not going to be dismissive and, and go, Oh yeah, fuck that kid. Cause I don't think that that'd be fair. And there's, there's a chance I lose that one, but I'm also not going to sit here and say I'm emphatically going to lose either. So I don't know what to do with that one. That one's a little closer than we thought probably. Right. Unless Billy takes me out immediately. That would but suck. see, I like, yeah. I think we have to, we'd have to attack Billy maybe as the three of us because he's the strongest point and then see what Big Cat and PFT do. 
do they jump in? Like, cause the, I think the surprise tactic of just like the three of us ambushing Billy might disable him. And then we can kind of take on the other two after the shock is kind of cleared. That seems wrong. Just seems wrong. Really? I don't know. Something about it seems wrong. I thought you don't you, like that. I thought Saru's got stamina, right? He plays soccer on the weekends. He could keep PFT. No busy. ball skills though. Nope. Yeah. Maybe, I can move around. That's what I'm saying. I would not get hit. He could keep yeah. him busy. Just dodge, dodge and weave. And I really don't know what Big Cat's like. He might be like a grapple guy. And then I'm like, now I'm wrestling on the ground with a guy who's, you know, able to contain somebody like me. I don't know. He might just be like, a, if I can just get close enough to him, I can just take this to the ground and it's just really messy. So I think, I think it could, honestly, it could be me and Big Cat are rolling around in some sort of bear hug. Sarudi's um, kind of dancing around PFT and, and it's rarely whatever you think is going to happen with you and Billy, it sounds like. Yeah, I think that's really what what it comes down to. I just, I'm sorry, Saruti. I'm not gonna. There's just, a, it's just too much size. And then I think PFT's got you too. So if Kyle beats Big Cat, which I think he would, then it, you know, then I'm I'm the tiebreaker in there. And I, you know, I'm sure those guys are gonna back their guy because I think Billy also has that kind of would run his head into a brick wall type of thing. And he's got a Gronk thing going. Yeah. He's got a little Gronk. Like I didn't even realize my arm got cut off in him. (laughs) So he, you know, he's going to talk himself into it. And I didn't see enough from his Canseco fight. You know, I don't, I don't know. Canseco was done with that pretty quickly, but Billy went into it thinking was going to win. That's pretty important. That's pretty important. My mind might not even be right for this. So Yeah. That's that's a tough one. I could tell that's you that would be the number one Monday podcast though for us. The recap, if we just, just the, re- the recap, that would be the number one number one on iTunes and Spotify. <laughs> it, it would depend. I don't know how guys shook out of that thing. What you'd have to do is no matter what, you'd have to show up for the Monday pod because, as we all know, if you fight in high school and the other person doesn't show up to class the next day, um, that means that person lost. Yeah, we would actually no. have to record it Sunday night so it comes out early morning Monday instead of our normal East Coast late time. Yeah. Good email, I think. I think. Okay, that's life advice. Uh, again, we'll talk to you Friday. Please subscribe. Thanks to Kyle and Steve for all the contributions and uh, enjoy the start of NBA season. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.